Day 21. Things have gotten worse. One of the horses died. We enjoyed the deer for another couple days, but it didn't last. The path was narrower than anticipated. Whoa there! Crash! You alright, John? We all rushed over to help John up and assess the damage. John was relatively unscathed, just a bit shaken. The horse, however, was not so lucky. Walking on the narrow path, it broke a piece of earth loose, which sent it toppling off the path. John was lucky enough to be thrown off and dismount, else he was liable to be crushed as the horse went down. It lay, having slid down the embankment, supplies from its cart strewn about. It bray weakly, one leg bent at an unnatural angle. It wasn't going to make it. The remaining cart sleds could barely accommodate the excess supplies we managed to recover from the side of the embankment. Not only do we now move slower to avoid tipping the overloaded sleds, but the extra weight posed more challenging for the horses. They did not look right. I believe that supplies for them may have been overlooked in the planning, which does not bode well for the rest of the journey on horseback. The rest of the day was traversed in sullen silence. John rode double with me for a little bit, however that quickly deteriorated as the horse refused to continue with both of us. Our pace was slow enough for him to comfortably keep up, and we'd rotated horses. Occasionally I'd hear John muttering to himself, but I couldn't tell what he was saying. He was displeased, though understandably so. All great journeys must have hardships, right? All thrilling tales must have a bit of trouble and toil. This will make for a fine story. After the journey is over, that is. And we're all living comfortably with the gold. The gold. The gold past the trail and up the river. Our parents went out west across the landmass. We can take a little stroll up north for some gold. Father wouldn't hesitate. They'd probably struggled more than us. More than they ever told us. You can catch a glimpse of it occasionally. A long stare. Or after putting a bottle down. It wasn't the hardships they told us about that worried me. It was what they hadn't told us. I hope we don't encounter any of those. I need to cease this thinking pattern and focus back on the task at hand. For my fellow men on this trip. And for you, Helen. And our little bundle on the way. I will try to keep my chin up and my spirits as high as they can be for a while longer. For you. Day 23. When it rains, it pours. Besides literally raining, another one of the horses died. Exhaustion was likely. We chose to drag the remaining supply carts by hand to try to keep the last two horses alive. We rotated duties on who dragged the sleds and who got to rest and ride. The guide's horse seemed fine, but he refused to allow any of us on it or to load it. I suppose it is fair since the horse is his, I think. Although if he could share the load, it would make the slog easier. Unfortunately, 
we have too much to simply drag on hand sleds. The decision was made to pull some of our supplies off the trail and into the wilderness to retrieve them later, after dropping off our current load at Bennett. Worthless horses. Oh. There. That should be the last of it. Well, we got to cover it up now. Right? Right? Can't leave it out in the open. We can drape some canvas over it and then spread foliage over it. That's what we did. Weak and weary, we continued up the trail. My feet were cold. The mud sucked at my boots. Despite our reduced load, we can still only move so fast. The mud and rocks slow our progress, and the cold bites at our bones. We should be getting closer to the end of this first leg. Hopefully. Sleep calls. Day 27. We arrived at Bennett at last, finally getting out of the tree line. The lake and its surroundings are idyllic. The giant mountains reflected beautifully across the serene lake surface like a mirror. We sat there a minute, tired, sorry bunch, and looked over the landscape, reflecting in silence. So now we have to go back. Right you are. But first, I need to offload some of this equipment to make room for the remainder of the supplies. And so, we roughly took an equivalent amount of supplies off our cart sleds to the amount we left behind. Much like before, we wrapped it in canvas in the woods and covered it with foliage. Wordlessly, we turned back the way we came and headed back down the path. I cannot adequately describe the feeling I felt trudging back down the path, so low. And I could see it in the other men's eyes. They felt it too. Well, except for the guide. He remained as unreadable as always. Just another stroll through the woods for him, I suppose. We were at the very least making more progress with lighter sleds, but each step away from the tranquil lake was agonizing. We should be back within the week, however, God willing. Day 30. Damn it! The horses are gone! And that good for another guide! Curses! The worthless scoundrel! The horses are gone. I don't mean dead. I mean they're just gone. Disappeared into thin air. Following Thomas's shouts, we were all in the clearing staring at a distinct lack of horses. Luckily, some of our equipment was still here. Not all of it, though. Did, did they wander off? They couldn't have gone too far. Let's search. I don't think they just wandered off. Supplies don't just wander off. And the bastards got too. What? 
What are you insinuating? John haunches over, placing his hands on his knees. I think you know what he means. No. Yes. No. No, he he went to get... Uh, he went ahead to do... Uh, he, he went to... He went to do what? He went ahead to go where? Where, John? To do what? He hardly ever helped out with anything. He didn't vanish to help us, I'll tell you that much. No, no, he, he couldn't. He wouldn't... He, he did! He made off with our horses in the middle of the night and is gone. He's made off with everything he can carry and is likely hitting the other stashes. John, lad, don't you get it? He took our horses too, so we can't catch up in time. Less than a day out from the stash. Gone with hardly a trace. The ground started to freeze, so not we could do to track him. He took our rifles. All that's left is the revolver at my side. Too risky to lift that off of a sleeping man. No way to catch up to him quickly. And very limited offensive capabilities. This was planned, John. He duped us. This was sad to watch. John didn't want to believe it. He assumed the good in people. And he hired the guide, too. While I connected the dots earlier than John, I was still stunned. I wasn't too keen on the guide, but I figured John vetted him. Then there was the fact that we were in the Yukon wilderness, growing ever colder, down two horses already, and the rogue essentially cuts the line on us. He did leave us some supplies, but this was not enough. We should recover what we can from the nearby stash, then head back to the lake. We don't have enough supplies to get back to Skagway. Going down the river is our only chance. What about hunting or foraging for food? Bounty of the forest has been light. Hardly any animals worth the effort, and I am unfamiliar with the plants of this area. Are you? No. We go get what we can in the stash and continue. We have come too far. We were surprised to see he regained his composure so quickly. We continue on. The other stash at the lake should be full of supplies to take us downriver. And so, we continued to the first stash in the woods. Unfortunately, it was almost picked clean, save for the odd food stuff or equipment. The horse, on the other hand, the one we left on the trail, also unfortunately rather cleaned. While the temperature would preserve it, all that's left is waste scraps. We collected what we could from the stash, and with some muttering curses we turned around to head back to Bennett. There were scant enough supplies to make it back without more stringent rationing. If we can make it to the stash there, we should be fine, provided the worst hasn't occurred to it. As long as he hadn't doubled back to empty that one too. Keep an eye on the trees. Perhaps we will spot some animals to hunt to bolster our rations. Or maybe the yellow-bellied rogue. We haven't heard or seen him come back this way yet, but in the event of either sighting, I have just the appropriate... implement. Thomas pulled part of his overcoat back to reveal the revolver by his side. Perhaps he went back to Skagway to swindle another group when the big rush inevitably comes through. They've probably arrived by now. It's been a couple of weeks. A month? Everyone probably knows about the Klondike Gold by now. 
the guide is probably from around there. Regardless, we need to keep pushing forward. We continued well into the night until our feet ached and we could no longer feel the cold biting our faces and extremities. Well, lads, since time is of the essence and we narrate the time to waste, best we leave at first light, if not earlier. Go ahead and settle in for as much rest as you can. I lay down, ready for another frigid, dreamless slumber. Day 31 Come back here! You fiend! You worthless bastard! Gah! What the hell's going on? The scoundrel just rode past. He's going for the Bennett provisions. I tried to hit him, but I missed as he thundered past. It was only by chance I was even awake when I heard the hooves approaching. Well, you didn't miss everything. Faintly visible in the moonlight was one of the horses, laid out on the ground, having been shot. The silence was palpable. Christ. Do we? I don't reckon we have much of a choice. Nate's Nate. He's still on horseback. We won't catch him in time anyway. And so we partook in silence. John's stomach rejected once. Mine threatened a few times. Be it from either the abrupt loading and density, or from the thought of the act, I do not know. The others appeared to struggle, but we were thankful too, as it kept the hunger at bay as well as the harbinger, for now. We packed what little we had after the somber meal and continued up the trail back to the lake. Thomas would occasionally start angrily muttering, but for the most part, it was a quiet trek for the rest of the day. Everyone was so miserably sullen. No longer was this purely a struggle for wealth, our survival was staked on it, too. We had to make it to Lake Bennett or die. We had to get to our supplies or die. We had to navigate down the river to Dawson or die. Failure isn't an option. If we don't find gold or some other means of wealth, even of a meager amount in Dawson, we would at the very least be stuck there, unable to procure enough goods and supplies to go back to Seattle. At worst, we die out here, poorer than we began. Failures. Onward we march into the wilderness for the second time. Curse this ill-fated expedition. Day 33. We continued for the last two days well into the night, rising early in the morning to make up time. It's taken a toll, feeling weaker moving slower. We staved off a bit with portions we brought from the horse, but while they nourished the body, the mind still deteriorated. The past two days have been mostly silent, 
with the occasional grunt and odd complaints. Not even Samuel had any sarcastic quips, for the most part. I could not tell you if each man was in his own mind, engrossed in solitude, or simply stopped thinking. The days begin to blend together, my mind and nerves raw as my face and fingers. I'm not even sure if the day numberings are correct anymore. What does it matter? I'm about to burn this cursed tome if the need arises. I shan't let you see it, Helen. Heaven forbid the little one. Yet still I write. The extended days paid off, however. As we reached Bennett again, I would weep with joy if I had the energy. The calming sight of the lake was beautiful. However, there were more important matters at hand. He hit the other stash too. Not as hard though. The devil must have already been loaded from our other equipment. Well, alright. We have our things now, and we are at the lake. But we don't have enough supplies to walk alongside it. But we also don't have a boat. I hefted up one of our axes and began to walk to a sizable tree. We'll just make one. It's our only chance. Use lumber to fix the cart sleds. We can use lumber to make a raft. Best get to it. We don't have forever. So that's what we did. Alternating shifts of two men chopping timber and two men processing timber. We processed the wood with the draw knife and similar tools and also prepared binding for the raft. Day 34 Swing, chop, swing, chop, swing, chop, timber. Drag, rest, Carve, lash, wrap, rest, swing, chop, swing, chop. Day 35. Swing, chop, swing, chop, swing. Day 36. Carve, lash, wrap. Day 41. The raft is ready. Are we? Do you think this thing is seaworthy? Uh, well, river-worthy? Well, it certainly isn't the vessel we sailed up in. But time is not a luxury we can afford in our current state. We're only wasting more time. Are we ready to put it in the water? We assembled a sizable raft of logs lashed together with an extra log on top to form a minuscule gunwale to brace against when paddling, and to help keep people in cargo in the raft. We repurposed the cart sleds into a sort of cargo hold, really just a fenced area to hold what little equipment and provisions we had left that we deemed necessary. This was an all-or-nothing gamble anyway, so we ditched what would offer us the lowest utility in favor of speed. 
Our oars were nothing more than hastily cut boards of wood, which no matter how many times we passed over with a draw knife, looked apt to fill you with splinters. As long as everyone is good with what we're bringing and what we're leaving behind. Okay, let's get in the water. Push! What do you think we're bloody doing? Who's first? Thomas, with your uh, experience? <laughs> it's okay. I'm old, but I'm still spry. But I'll leave the jump mountain to you younger fellas. <sighs> Those gun walls better do some good for the effort it was to climb over it. Next lad, step right up. John climbed aboard next, a little bit easier than Thomas did. Samuel and I looked at each other. Maybe I should... Ah, go on. Someone has to push the boat the rest of the way. Alright, come on. Samuel hit the gunwale hard, and we grabbed him quickly, frantically trying to keep him from falling into the frigid water. Ah. We've got to figure out a better way to mount and dismount this raft next time. <laughs> Finally, we disembarked, using the oars to guide us to the Yukon River and out of the lake. It was high time to get to Dawson. What happens if, say, the river freezes? Ah, well... I guess you we... get to learn how to ice skate, my boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you row fast enough, you won't have to worry about that, now will we? Aye. I suppose that's true. You old-timers better put your backs into it then, eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, little rascal. It took a little while to get our running coordinated. But after a slight hiccup, we were cruising down the river with some grace. I have no earthly idea to tell how far we've gone nautically, but it was certainly further than we could have gone on foot. We tied the raft off at night and stayed on it. Miraculously, the water was calm enough not to splash up between the logs for the most part. Klondike Gold Part 2 was written by Evan Jaffe. Robert is played by Neil Skarupa. John is played by Eric Phones. Thomas is played by Sigcor. Samuel 
is played by Channon Carruthers. The Guide is played by TJ Hodder. Please consider supporting the show on Patreon. And we definitely encourage you to join our Discord channel. All the links you need are below in the show notes. <laughs>